Hello, world. I'm Roger Corville, and this is For the Hope's Daily Audio Bible, where we read through the scriptures conversationally, talk about the truth claims of Christianity, and learn to fall more in love with Jesus and the people in his world. You ready? Let's roll. Welcome. We talk a lot here about how work is a big deal in God's kingdom, how we were created for it, and even that it was meant as a blessing for us. So I found this quote kind of interesting. B.F. Westcott put it this way. We make a great mistake if we connect our conception of heaven with the thought of rest from work. Rest from toil, rest from weariness, rest from exhaustion, yes. Rest from work, productivity, and service, no. And then he quotes something that we're going to hear in our New Testament segment today. They serve God day and night. Hello, Hopeful. Welcome to episode 1993 of our journey together. And no, I probably won't call out the number every single day. But, you know, we're closing in on 2,000 episodes of just this, let alone all the other segments that we do. So I'm glad that you've chosen not to be alone and that you humor me as we uh, approach this milestone, seeking together to be transformed by reading through every word of God's revelation of himself. And today, we're going to catch that line, they serve God day and night in our New Testament reading. Now, listen for it, because what you're going to hear otherwise is a lot about trouble and trial. My friends, wait and be faithful is our theme today. You will come out of tribulation and experience the gracious comforts of God. He will see you through. Revelation chapter 7. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, restraining the four winds of the earth so that no wind could blow on the earth or any sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel rising up from the east who had the seal of the living God. He cried out in a loud voice to the four angels who were allowed to harm the earth and the sea. Don't harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we seal the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the Israelites, 12,000 from the tribe of Judah, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. After this I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, And along with the elders and the four living creatures, they fell face down before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, Who are these people in white robes and where did they come from? I said to him, Sir, you know. Then he told me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. 
For this reason they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. The one seated on the throne will shelter them. They will no longer hunger. They will no longer thirst. The sun will no longer strike them, nor will any scorching heat. For the Lamb who is at the center of the throne will shepherd them. He will guide them to springs of waters of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And my friends, that wraps up chapter 7 and the seals section. And hey, worth noting is this. That section talking about the 144,000 is subject of a lot of debate. Is that literal Israel or does that represent the church? Scholars disagree, and I'm not going to be able to wrestle it to the ground here in a couple sentences. But I think it's a good lesson for us to remember from that that we should be careful about doing so, meaning trying to wrestle it to the ground too far. Why? Because it's easy to get dogmatic about a secondary issue. Commentator John Wolverd puts it this way, In any case, the message of this passage comes through clearly. God will bring all his people into his heavenly kingdom. His purposes of grace will prevail. The ancient promises to his people of old cannot fail. Christ the Lamb has secured their fulfillment. Commentator James Hamilton Jr. puts it this way, The most important fact taught here is that God continues to watch over Israel even in the time of Israel's great distress. There is no justification for spiritualizing either the numbers, the number or the names of the tribes in this passage to make them represent the church. So, what's our theme again today that we can hang our hat on? Wait and be faithful. You will come out of the tribulation and experience the gracious comforts of God. He will see you through. As always, of course, friends, the bibliography is in the show notes at forthehope.org. Look for episode 1993. And we turn to our New Testament, or I should say our Old Testament segment, just keeping it real. A couple days back, we heard the clearest expression, or one of the clearest expressions of God's New Testament, New Covenant promise in the Old Testament. And now the scene returns to the reign of Zedekiah. Judah is besieged and Jeremiah is in prison. The prophecies of hope now continue to prevail against this background. Jeremiah chapter 32. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of King Zedekiah of Judah, which was the 18th year of King Nebuchadnezzar. At that time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem and the prophet Jeremiah was imprisoned in the court, guard's courtyard in the palace of King Judah. King Zedekiah of Judah had imprisoned him, saying, Why are you prophesying as you do? You say, This is what the Lord says. Look, I'm about to hand this city over to Babylon's king, and he will capture it. King Zedekiah of Judah will not escape from the Chaldeans. Indeed, he will be certainly handed over to Babylon's king, and they will speak face to face and meet eye to eye. He'll take Zedekiah to Babylon, where he'll stay until I attend to him. This is the Lord's declaration. For if, for you will fight the Chaldeans, but you'll not succeed. And Jeremiah replied, The word of the Lord came to me. Watch, Hanamel, son of your uncle Shalom, is coming to you to say, Buy my field in Anathoth for yourself, for you own the right of redemption to buy it. 
Then, as the Lord had said, my cousin Hanamel came to the guard's courtyard and urged me, Please buy my field in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, for you own the right of inheritance and redemption. Buy it for yourself. And then I knew that this was the word from the Lord. So I bought the field in Anathoth from my cousin Hanamel, and I weighed out to him the silver, 17 shekels. I recorded it on a scroll, sealed it, called in witnesses, and weighed out the silver on the scales. I took the purchase agreement, the sealed copy with its terms and conditions, and the open copy, and gave the purchase agreement to Baruch, son of Neriah, son of Messiah. And I did this in the sight of my cousin Hanamel, the witness who had signed the purchase agreement, and all the Judeans sitting in the guard's courtyard. I charged Baruch in their sight. This is what the Lord of Armies, the God of Israel, says. Take these scrolls, this purchase agreement with the sealed copy and this open copy, and put them in an earthen storage jar so they'll last a long time. For this is what the Lord of Armies says, the God of Israel. Houses, fields, and vineyards will again be bought in this land. And my friends, now you catch the point of why that whole little bit of story just unfolded. God says, Houses, fields, and vineyards will again be bought in this land. And I'll just pause before I finish up this chapter. You can see here, kind of like the, uh, what's called the double fulfillment or the dual horizon of this particular prophecy, right? There is both the immediate context of God's promise to restore Israel back to its promised land from being slaves in Babylon, Right? But there is also the dual fulfillment or the vision that we just got done reading in Revelation 7. Continuing. After I had given the purchase agreement to Baruch, son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord, O Lord God, you yourself made the heaven and the earth by your great power and with your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. You show faithful love to thousands, but lay the Father's iniquities on the Son's laps after them, great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of armies, the one great in counsel and powerful in action. Your eyes are on all the ways of the children of men in order to reward each person according to his ways and as a result of his actions. You performed signs and wonders in the land of Egypt and still do today, both in Israel and among all mankind. You made a name for yourself, as is the case today. You brought your people Israel out of Egypt with signs and wonders, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, and with great terror. You gave them this land that you swore to give their ancestors, a land flowing with milk and honey. They entered and possessed it, but they did not obey you or live according to your instructions. They failed to perform all you had commanded them to do, and so you have brought all this disaster on them. Look, siege ramps have come against the city to capture it, and the city, as a result of the sword, famine, and plague, has been handed over to the Chaldeans who are fighting against it. What you have spoken has happened. Look, you can see it. Yet you, Lord God, have said to me, Purchase the field and call in witnesses, even though the city has been handed over to the Chaldeans. I'm just going to pause. Do you catch what just went on right there? Right? There's just, we're someplace in the midst of this 
conquering in this battle and some people have been hauled off already and Jerusalem's about to fall at this point, exact point in the story. And God says, go buy a field in this land that's about to be conquered. And what does Jeremiah do? He trusts God. Continuing, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Look, I am the Lord, the God over every creature. Is anything too difficult for me? Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I'm about to hand this city over to the Chaldeans, to Babylon's king Nebuchadnezzar, and he will capture it. The Chaldeans who are fighting against this city will come and set this city on fire. They'll burn it, including the houses where incense has been burned to Baal on their rooftops and where drink offerings have been poured out to other gods to anger me. From their youth, the Israelites and Judeans have done nothing but what is evil in my sight. They've done nothing but anger me by the work of their hands. This is the Lord's declaration. For this city has caused my wrath and fury from the day it was built until now. I will therefore remove it from my presence because of all the evil the Israelites and Judeans have done to anger me. They, their kings, their officials, their priests, their prophets, the men of Judah, the residents of Jerusalem, they have turned their backs to me and not their faces. Though I taught them time and time again, they do not listen or receive discipline. They have placed their abhorrent things in the house that bears my name and have defiled it. They've built the high places of Baal in Beninam Valley to sacrifice their sons and daughters in the fire to Molech, something I had not commanded them. I had never entertained the thought that they would do this detestable thing, causing Judah to sin. Now, therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of our Israel, says to this city, about which you said, it has been handed over to Babylon's king through sword, famine, and plague. I will certainly gather them from all the lands where I have banished them in my anger, fury, and intense wrath. I will return them to this place and make them live in safety. They will be my people, and I will be their God. I will give them integrity of heart and action so that they will fear me always for their good and for the good of the descendants after them. I will make a permanent covenant with them. I will never turn away from doing good to them. I will put fear of me in their hearts so they will never again turn away from me. I will delight in them to do what is good for them, and with all my heart and mind, I will faithfully plant them in this land. For this is what the Lord says, Just as I have brought all this terrible disaster on these people, so I am about to bring on them all the good I am promising them. Fields will be bought in this land about which you are saying it's a desolation without people or animals. It's been handed over to the Chaldeans. Fields will be purchased, the transaction written on a scroll and sealed, and witnesses will be called on in the land of Benjamin, in the areas surrounding Jerusalem and in Judah's cities, the cities of the hill country, the cities of the Judean foothills, and the cities of the Negev, because I will restore their fortunes. This is the Lord's declaration. And that is Jeremiah 32. Faith, my friends, faith must always be expressed in action, as Jeremiah did. And when we are perplexed about God's ways, 
like Jeremiah, we can turn to God in prayer. Oh, what's our theme today? Wait and be faithful. You will come out of tribulation and experience the gracious comforts of God. He will see you through. So now turning to our wisdom segment. We're still in this section in Proverbs that speaks to dealing with difficult people. But isn't that the source of trial and trouble anyway, right? Human, demon, or some combination thereof? Proverbs 26, 17 through 28. A person who is passing by and meddles in a quarrel that's not his is like one who grabs a dog by the ears. Like a madman who throws flaming darts and deadly arrows, so is the person who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. Without wood, fire goes out. Without a gossip, conflict dies down. As charcoal for embers and wood for fire, so is a quarrelsome person for kindling strife. A gossip's words are like choice food that goes down to one's innermost being. Smooth lips with an evil heart are like glaze on an earthen vessel. A hateful person disguises himself with his speech and harbors deceit within. When he speaks graciously, don't believe him, for there are seven detestable things in his heart. Though his hatred is concealed by deception, his evil will be revealed in the assembly. The one who digs a pit will fall into it, and whoever rolls a stone, it'll come back on him. A lying tongue hates those it crushes, and a flattering mouth causes ruin. And that, my friends, completes chapter 26. <laughs> Uh, yes, the world would be pretty awesome were it not for the troublesome and difficult people doing things under the influence of the enemy's way of doing things. It's pretty awesome that heaven will be a place where rest actually means that we tr get to do and be what we were actually created for. It's rest like we think of it in a cartoonish sort of way. Right? <laughs> Sitting on a cloud and with a harp and a glass of champagne? Uh, yeah, no. Think about it. It'll be the kind of life that doesn't need a vacation from something because we will be doing what brings us joy and meaning and purpose such that we can barely imagine it now and the center of it will be worship of God who did this for us. Wait and be faithful. You will come out of tribulation and experience the gracious comforts of God. He will see you through. I love you, my friends. Amen. Amen. <laughs>